Do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Berzo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. Thank you so much for listening and for clicking on this link. This is the 200th episode of this podcast. I never imagined in my life we would get here. And I'm pretty sure we will take it to another 200, 400, whatever a number comes up. If you're new, welcome. Um, there are many episodes to listen from. Go to the website and you can search for, for keywords as well. If you are a regular listener, thank you so much for listening, for your support, for sharing um, for getting the message out, for sharing it with your friends and for being active in the space. I know many of you uh, are active in the space listening to this. So for this episode, it's a very special one. It's a very special ride. It has been a very special ride. We have Emma Chow back on the podcast to talk about her journey, her burnout, coming back uh, from the Amazon to London and re-engaging with the food space. And of course, we discuss where the podcast is, where the podcast is going, what we've seen over the last years, over the last six years, actually, and uh, where do we think this is going? And let me know what you think, what the podcast has brought you, where you're listening. Uh, we're always happy to hear from you. This can be quite a, a lonely uh, profession as we are often with a laptop and a microphone and interviewing over, uh, over the internet. So let us know where you're listening, how this podcast has helped you. Uh, we love to hear from you. And now without further ado, the 200th episode. Enjoy. This is the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, where we talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land and our sea, grow our food, what we eat, wear and consume. And it's time that we as investors, big and small, and consumers start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. To make it easy for fans to support our work, we launched our membership community. And so many of you have joined us as a member. Thank you. If our work created value for you, and if you have the means, and only if you have the means, consider joining us. Find out more on gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. That is gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. Or find the link below. So welcome to a very special episode, the 200th of this podcast, which I never could have imagined when we started um, hanging out and having conversations around the role of money in regeneration. And um, I couldn't have wished for a better co-pilot on this, uh, this episode, a former head of food, I think, of food program. You, you can correct me later uh, what exactly your role was at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And uh, she left. We actually had the last interview. Your last interview was on this podcast in February um, of this year, so 2022. We're recording this on World Soil Day, uh, the 5th of December, and it will probably be out early early January. And so I'm very much looking forward to checking in with Emma, Emma Chow. I haven't mentioned your name yet, um, to see where your journey is leading you. And of course, to uh, check in on the podcast, uh, where we're at, where we're going, and, and what we've learned so far. So welcome uh, this morning. And thank you so much for taking the time to to join us on the podcast again. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor, especially with the 200th episode. Amazing. Um, I feel so full circle. 
for me because as you mentioned really, that was yeah, my last media piece back in February and then I took a big break and it's only more recently that I've landed back in London and like reimmersed myself into the food world and we've gotten to reconnect so it's um it feels all very very right and timely absolutely and and just let let's unpack that break a bit I mean you you took some time off and not just like, oh, I went a week to, to a cottage somewhere in Wales now, which is amazing. But you did, <laughs> did a slightly different um, different break. Um, what, um, because you wrote a really nice LinkedIn post on that, uh, or LinkedIn article, I think they call it. Anyway, a, a nice post on LinkedIn, which I will link below as well, about your journey. Can you um, yeah, share a bit what made you decide to go to the Amazon? Um, and then, of course, we'll, we'll talk a bit about what you learned there, what you brought back, not only uh, cacao and plant medicine, uh, but what you brought back in terms of experiences and lessons learned and what was that um, yeah, deep dive for you into into literally the jungle? Yeah, gosh, it was, it was so much and I'm happy to share as far as we want to go today. But to answer the first part of what made me take this break, because as you're alluding to, it wasn't just one or two weeks. It was six months where I gave myself permission to say this is my only mission is to regenerate myself. And this time last year, October, November of last year, I was in the depths of acknowledging that I was fully burnt out and having to step away from work and confront the truth, which was very confronting for me at the time, that I was degenerating myself while working towards regenerative futures while working on the food initiative at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and then all of my work before that that was always centered around working for nature um so I, I had to confront that and say okay I actually need to prioritize me and what does it mean for me to regenerate myself because I can't do any good work for the world if I don't take care of myself um and I'd been wanting to go to the Amazon since I've been fortunate to have a conversation with Alex Atala, like an Instagram live a couple of years ago. And he was speaking about going into the Amazon, learning from these different tribes in Brazil and speaking about biodiversity of the different fruits and, and herbs and everything that he was discovering and bringing it back into his restaurants. And since then, I was like, oh, the Amazon. Hmm. And then I just felt this pull to Peru. And when it comes to travel, I always trust my intuition and that's really what guided me on this whole journey. So it was in June that I started my travels um, from my home country of Canada, where I was before that, to Peru. And yeah, I went and, and I lived in the Amazon for a couple of weeks and got to be opened up to a whole other world, many worlds, um, living with indigenous people and being in relationship with nature in such a different way and discovering the healing potential of plants and our food. And is it something you recommend we all do? In a sense, we it's not a common friend yet, but I think it will become. Uh, but somebody mentioned uh, after spending a lot of time with indigenous tribes that they said something, and for sure I'm butchering the quote, um, like as long as we keep meeting on Zoom and then like we'll never get regeneration, like as long, which is good. It, it connects. We, we are online in general, of course. It's not just as long as we keep meeting in these very concrete buildings and, and connect online, 
will never get the true meaning of regeneration. Thus, should we all go to somewhere and really try to reconnect to nature? Is that something you're advocating for now? Or, is it, or you, would you say it's so personal, like it really depends um, what, where you're at? Or is like every human being, especially people working in the regenerating and food space or regeneration in general, they need something like this because it just opens up a whole new world or worlds, as you said. Yeah, that's, I love that quote that you are, you're just sharing now. I think that... Fernando will, will share the proper one when you connect. Yeah. Okay, amazing. I think that like this conversation right now, it's enabled by technologies online and is definitely a tool that we don't want to push away. And at the same time, when it comes to reconnecting with nature, which I think is at the core of everything, and it's really a process of remembering that we too are part of nature. We are not separate from nature. We only remember that through reimmersing in and with nature. And it doesn't need to look like going and living with an indigenous tribe per se. It doesn't need to be going off to the Amazon. That was something I learned as part of my journey. It was like, wow, I've gone to all these far off exotic lands to have this novel experience in the sense of being in a completely different environment. And now my work is to come back to England. I'm half British. So part of my work now is to, to reconnect with my ancestral lineage. And I'm working with plants to do art projects, for instance. And part of that motivation is to learn about native plants here, which I've never thought to do. And I've been living in England for almost five years. So I think no matter where we are in the world. I thought you were going to say like 25 years, no, five years still. I mean, fair enough. I mean, you worked a lot. You worked but probably too much. But most of my time much. has been spent on a computer. In, yeah, on a computer in a, yeah. in a square box. Yeah, yeah no. Talking so, about fa- fair food enough, and you talking didn't, you about didn't, things. Yeah. But okay, so you're on a journey to, to reconnect to that piece <laughs> of nature, which is not as wild, maybe. Maybe it is as, uh, as, as the Amazon. Yeah, and you can find that wildness of nature and the incredible elegant complexity that nature is in any pocket. Like I'm here in London now and I will go to the marshes near Olympic park. And like, there's wild nature there. And yes, it's not massive and expansive like the Amazon, but I can still go and walk into nature and practice these practices, like asking for permission to walk down the path, like noticing the personality of the forest, like paying attention. And that in itself is building our senses to be able to receive information from nature, which we have essentially numbed when we're keeping ourselves separate and behind computers and only using some of our senses. And how do you find now being back? And I encourage everybody to read the the post you wrote, uh, which I will link below or which I will link in the show notes. Being back in, in London, which is a big concrete city with some wild pieces, obviously left and right. How do you prevent yourself from not becoming or not falling into the trap of uh, like nature? Not, not, I wouldn't say nature is everything, but sounding too naive or sounding we have to just reconnect to nature and we're fine. Like, how do you make sure we bridge that to the, the, the harsh world of corporates that you were part of or you were semi part of because you had, of course, an interesting role mm. at the foundation? Like, how do you bridge that to, um, if we just look at nature, everything will be fine. We just have to reconnect and, 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 and then it's okay. How do we make sure we 
connect that as a, or we, we build that bridge to people that are I'm not saying still stuck in the concrete boxes, but are maybe a bit too far away from, from nature to, uh, to see that or to feel that or to reconnect and, and would just push it in the corner of, of, okay, she went to the Amazon, she came back. Okay. Nature is, is very important now. That's fine. But I will just continue to do my day-to-day stuff. Like how do we make sure we, we connect to that and not be pushed away as naive and, and, mm-hmm. and let's just get on with day-to-day work. And this is not, this is fine for the weekends or something. Yes. That's the hard part, isn't it? <laughs> That's the hard part. I'm not saying I, I'm asking I easy felt, questions on, I felt, on the Monday I know, morning. I, know. <laughs> I felt the that tension for sure just in these past couple of months of being back in London, being like, okay, how do I want to re-enter this space? But one word that you spoke just now, bridge, is what kept coming to me when I was traveling. Like it just just this message that kept coming to me of like I'm meant to be a bridge between these worlds and the key here is to to bring things in a relatable package, right? Because you can have the same kind of nugget, the same golden gift inside, but you can wrap it in many different ways. So I think that's the the key here is like understanding the audience and understanding where people are at and meeting them where they are and never coming in to preach and tell people what to do. And I think that's universal, especially in, in the pathway to regeneration or guilt or shame what's been done um but i'm a big believer in this principle of experience first and knowledge second and rather than telling give people the opportunity to experience it first time firsthand and personalize it and internalize it for themselves um so i think it's an opportunity to in different ways um be reconnected with food and nature and maybe that's by going to a restaurant here in london um like silo you know a place that creates really incredible experiences and through the plate of food you can be introduced to these worlds and it's always a journey so it's all about like how do you crack open the door and then through your first-hand experience learn something internalize it and then have some curiosity to experience something more. And that's where the momentum can build, I think. And where are you at now? Like what, what are you, what are the foundations of that bridge or the bridges? Probably there are multiple you're, you're building or where is your, uh, not, not that you have to build a bridge this year or next year, but <laughs> what, what are you currently um, working on or thinking of or playing with? Um, in terms of bridge building, what are our pieces you're, you're, you're currently, which are currently in development, let's say. Yeah. Could be design, like, could be already fundamental pieces, but let's uh, Yeah, let's, so let's it's interesting because obviously I took this break as a reset and I, and I told myself, like, I don't so I'm laughing because there's like a little oh. girl walking around here in the, the co-working space I'm recording. Sorry, audience. We might cut this out. We might not, but there's a bit of background noise, which is perfectly fine in a big concrete building. <laughs> Um, and I, and I said to myself, like, I might not necessarily come back into food and work professionally. And then there was this desire that emerged to come and work in food space still, but in a different way and really picking up where I left off in terms of food design. And you just mentioned it, the last report, what we spoke about in the last podcast that we recorded together was a big food redesign 
um, that the Ellen MacArthur Foundation produced and my team worked on. And I really wanted to pick up there and take it further. And everything keeps collapsing back to this central pillar around mindset, shift, and education. And they're really intangible components that I've always believed and continue to believe are paramount. Um, and so I'm, I'm currently exploring these ideas around creating immersions, immersive experiences that can come in different formats to meet people where they're at and invite them in to shift their mindset, to really move from our classic sustainability of do less harm towards, oh, we can go beyond net zero goals and actually get to regeneration. And what does that actually taste like, look like, feel like, smell like? How do I receive that through my senses to internalize that wisdom that sits within all of us? And then how do you take that back into your organization to start to influence your day-to-day decision-making, your strategy, your product innovation schemes, where you're allocating your dollars? And that's really where I'm at out of these past couple months that I've treated as a exploration phase um, since landing back in London. And now it's really about building those ideas into coherent experiences and offerings that I can invite organizations and individuals into as I enter the, the new year. Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. You mentioned a number of times the, the different senses and of course how food touches on most of them and if not all, just trying to count them, yeah. And um, how that could be that entry point into or that first very low risk low barrier like just taste something else in a different uh-huh. experience a different setting and and we keep i think we keep hitting that as well with the podcast that unless we also change the way of investing or the way money works or the way we put money to work probably that's about the way money works maybe a bit ambitious but um we're still going to hit the same limits of certain models the same limits of certain things and I keep thinking that people get really hooked on region and food because they see a documentary or they, they heard a podcast somewhere, maybe ours, maybe others. Ours is quite niche, but, um, or they read a book or whatever and, or a movie. And then they sort of think, oh, if we just switch this, then it's okay. If we just switch a few practices mm. on the field, we're fine. And I'm, I know most people go down a rabbit hole eventually, but it would be nice to speed that up or to, to help them through that realization. Like it, it requires other pieces. It requires a much deeper um, transformation and food and ag is a really good starting point, but it doesn't mean it ends there. And it's not just swapping a few practices and, and we'll all be safe. And, and so I'm wondering what it needs there as well. And of course we, we try to do our part and we try to feature people that take this discussion much deeper, because I think that's our role and uh, not just to talk about the latest fund and, and their structure. Of course, if their structure is innovative, we should, but also what does it mean to be a regenerative investor or what does, it, what does a regenerative investment actually look like? What is that even? Or what, what kind of questions should we ask? What are the conditions? And I'm wondering if we should take investors, especially new ones in this space, 
um, on these journeys as well and to expose them how powerful, but also complex and complicated regeneration is and, and not just let them learn from a book, a documentary or a podcast or something written or a great report, but it needs to be out in the field. It needs to be out in the forest. It needs to be out in um, among um, the things you, you try to put money uh, to work. So I think there's a huge space there. We'll, we'll continue that conversation for sure also offline, like how to not make people click, but make the really experience regeneration and the potential you need to be away from this, this uh, concrete cube and, and a laptop and you need to be somewhere, but then it needs to be very curated and, and ticking, mm-hmm. like, like making sure it um, switches on or like it, it clicks the right buttons. And of course it's different for every person. So what are you thinking about these experiences? These emer- like, what are your, what's your first very corporate target group? Like what is your, <laughs> what, what are you, are you going say, let's do chefs or let's do investors or let's do, entrepreneurs or let's mix them all together and make sure that works which maybe is powerful but also tricky well initially with these first prototypes what i'm drawn to most is that it's exactly the community you just mentioned around investors and funders um because through my experience these past years, working primarily with businesses and a lot of really large food companies seeing that ultimately those investors and funding mechanisms have such deep influence. And unless you get those guys on board, it's really hard to just focus on companies or just focus on policy. So I I don't have tons of experience working with that specific group, which is interesting for me to go, oh, I'm being drawn to it. So I'm interested to to work closer with them um, and then down the line be able to bring together similar to how I did in my last role, like convening more diverse audiences because there's a lot of power in that and limited spaces where we're actually able to bring together very thoughtfully curated groups that include the investors and the startups and the big companies and the chefs who have so much knowledge and creative um, ideas So I think there's a lot of potential down the road, but at the moment I'm primarily focusing on the investing funding community. Which is interesting because you could argue that it's entrepreneurs first and then the money follows or it's money first and then the entrepreneurs follow. So do you know why you're drawn to, let's say the investor um, part of this, this ecosystem? Yeah, part of it is thinking about where do we put our energy, you know, invest our own time and energy and where's the greatest return. (laughs) And so when I, when I look from afar and I've kind of noticed trends over the past years, and I'm sure you, you know, much more deeply than me in terms of how much money is now flowing into the future of food. And that can include food tech and it can include Regen Ag and things like that. But there's a lot of money moving into these spaces and often under following what I would call some myths and and seeing Ooh, things as silver we bullets. Know them. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, I, I'm, <laughs> that, I'm taking notes. That I yeah. think are part of the solution, but not there is no silver bullet when it comes to creating a better food system. We need to lean into the complexity. So I think about how do we catch them early on in the journey? in their own learning journey to have a big influence short and long-term on where money is flowing. 
And at the same time, for sure, there's a lot. I, I really believe in the power of disruptors in terms of those startups to create and expand new markets and like pull along the bigger companies to and get money to be driving in a certain direction. Yeah. Hopefully the that lever, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, the lever. I mean, one of the reasons we we focus on that space because the money technically can only be spent once or put to work once, but of course it's not, not always the case, but it's, it's a very powerful tool and, and we have to get a lot better. We meaning the sector a lot better at using it and at least speak the language and engaging with it because otherwise we get the same structures and principles and power dynamics that, that have created a lot of this mess. And we trying to apply that to regeneration is as we see constantly, um, just a very difficult, like it's, fitting, which is it a, a square into a, a round hole, like it doesn't mm-hmm. work. And, and we try desperately to do it sometimes. And then we, we run against issues. And so we better change the way we put to work, which means we have to change the mindset or change or engage with, with the people that are putting the money to work to, to think differently and to uh, engage in a much larger conversation. And, and so I fully agree. It's, it's a, it's a long game, but at the same time, then I really hope that if all we, if we train all these investors and expose them and they, they fully grasp or dare in their mind um, what regeneration is to them, that there are also places to put, to put it to work because otherwise it, we create this whole uh, hungry group of investors that, that is ready mm-hmm. to embrace the complexity. Uh, but I think it's um, a symbiotic relationship at, at the entrepreneurs that they interact with and the funds and, and the early, early stage people will connect or will move with the investor as well. If, if we've seen it with steward ownership, the more it's on the table, the more people are connecting about it, the more people are talking about it, even they end up not doing a deal in a certain way, the next time they might. And it's it's a constant education about power, power dynamics and, and about what money actually can do or shouldn't do. And that is very, very interesting and complex and keeps us busy for 200 episodes and probably another 400, 500, whatever the, the number will be. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting first angle, but you, I would have imagined maybe you started with food companies or with chefs coming out of, of the Ellen MacArthur ecosystem. Um, and also because the large food companies you worked with, they are, of course, they are controlled by investors, but the really, really large ones, not necessarily mm-hmm. institutional players, which are they, are you targeting, or are you thinking about getting some decision makers off those larger players involved as well or is that a, a bridge too far and maybe version two or three maybe version two or three at this point at this point for me um i think there's a really important role for engaging it's just a question of does it need to be me <laughs> and is it right? fun so, and is it your your yeah what's the the potential return there and yeah and i'm just effort. following where i'm feeling the energy like where where is the energy where is synchronicity happening where where is something feeling forced versus where is it flowing and i'm following where it feels like it's flowing and trusting like that's the natural intelligence of where something is supposed to be created and where something is meant to emerge and i can't predict right now following that sort of design principle exactly how this maybe, you know, a few months from now, the first version will emerge and it will involve some of these big companies. But I don't know. I'm still, I'm still in the, in the shaping zone. How difficult is it to let it emerge coming out of 
I'm, I'm forgetting which large consultancy you were before. Ella I was MacArthur. at Deloitte. Deloitte, yeah. When yeah. I said it, I remembered. And, and <laughs> Ella MacArthur Foundation, which I don't know when you joined, but I think became quite a large institutional institution, basically. And now you're basically, I don't really know where this is going and, and I will let it emerge and follow the energy and the flow. How difficult is that for you to, to say that and actually do it? Oh, it has been so challenging. Like it's easy for me when I'm on my break and I'm, and I'm traveling and I trust my intuition and everything's great. And then I come back and it's been a, it's been rocky. It's been times of having to really check myself because I go into my own default modes, which as you say, I was in corporate consulting in my early career. So that ingrained in me this like drive, drive, go, go, go. But essentially it's an extractive model for myself and everyone I'm working around. And it's applying the same level of mind and brain that created these issues that we're trying to solve. And it was Einstein who said, we can't solve these the problem from the same level of the mind that created them. So I, I am, it's a process for me and an unlearning of old ways and a relearning of new ways. So it's a daily check-in and often I fall off the, <laughs> the track and I have to get myself back on. And part of it is coming back to this place. Like it's okay not to know it's okay to let things release control. It's really a process of releasing control. And I, and I always come back to nature as well. Um, because nature has this intelligence that's very unpredictable. And if you look at just one component of it, like a tree falling or a branch falling, you might think, Oh, that's bad. It's like death or devastation or something that's bad. But actually, if you zoom out and you see the bigger picture, it all has some sort of purpose. Like it's going to decompose and return nutrients to the soil to allow more life to come. So it's also been a big process of realizing that regeneration is a death practice. Regeneration is letting something, parts of my old ways, my old self, to die, to let things reemerge. It's to... Yeah, this piece around creating the blank space to let creation come through is a is a new thing for me, newer in the past year. So I'm still learning. <laughs> Probably never done as well. And never done. No. And so what are you now I think I want to double click on that death piece. Is that one of the big myths or or and then connected to the silver bullets you mentioned before? Like people fall into the trap of, okay, if we only do this, we'll be fine. Or if we just change this mm. and just replace this, if we just swap this, if we, et cetera, et cetera, like the plastic straw uh, um, focus and, and some other things. Like what, mm -hmm. what do you see What now back in London and people running around getting super excited about food and egg and, and then running after these silver bullets. Is there an underlying piece? And we had, we were, we talked about it with Charles Eisenstein on the death piece that we don't discuss or that the cycle and the regeneration piece is that the underlying issue we the elephant in the room let's say we don't want to confront or do you see other big ones we don't want to touch and that's why we go for the silver bullets and the thing the shiny things that look really sustainable yeah. but end up not being so i think in our western society that's a piece that's underlying everything that goes way beyond food um this aversion to death 
<laughs> right? It's like this attachment to kind of like sun energy, bright life, everything's good. And so the prospect of letting something crumble and fall is so terrifying. And it's this clinging on and attachment to what was. And we're at this very, to me, exciting and scary moment of how do we really wind down that old system? Bring in that moratorium. With grace and, and without yeah. too much Yeah, so it can't crumbling. just be yeah. this, that's get rid of the old and bring in the new. Like, no, there's this transition. And how do we, how do we guide that while also building up a radically different new tomorrow? And that takes this process of surrendering to death and releasing control. And it's amazing. Like I'm fascinated in terms of the human species and where we've gotten to in terms of like exercising control as much as we can to keep everything alive. And that can prevent us from allowing the natural cycles of birth, maintenance, death, renewal to continue. I realize for me, I had tried to continue a way of being beyond the state that I was, the moment that I was meant to. And that's why the burnout came because it forced me in, back into that cycle. And I went through it. I went through the process of die, death, letting everything, letting my old job go, letting my old ideas of who I was meant to be go, letting my old dreams go to then start as a blank slate, receive information, learn, build up, grow, change, and now get into a new phase where I'll then maintain and then at some point in the future, it will be time to let things go again and let things die. And that is the natural cycle that we see in everything from a tree and a plant or an animal that we also experience. And so it's like, again, this returning to nature and we are part of nature to these cycles. Yeah, it's an interesting a very interesting angle. I'm, I'm thinking we're, we're recording this at the day where we release a new format, which I've like, which is new. No idea how that will fly. It, it will be when you're hearing this, it will be on YouTube already, or it should be. And it's also um, will be an audio format where we, we take time to, to go deep with farmers. And basically we call it the farmer's philosophy series, where we have time to talk way more about other things than soil health and, and this whole regeneration uh, piece and emergence and letting go of control and, and not having a strict format, which is very difficult for me and, and things like that. But I'm also thinking like no idea where that will take. Maybe it will take over the podcast, which is to have philosophy discussions here, which we have to a certain extent here. And maybe that let's, let's go of, we, we should let go of the, some of the, the, the fun structures we talk, or maybe not. I mean, it's a, it's 200 episodes in, we can, we can take it anywhere, but we shouldn't hang on to what we've done until now. Don't send me angry emails. I'm not saying we stop with the podcast, um, but I'm just uh, thinking about where to to take this uh, this as well. And but if you would, I would, I just have to look because I'm in the center of Rotterdam. I'm looking at Shell, and I'm in a, a building of Unilever, a part of it. So I'm thinking, what if you would control like one of these older systems, like institutional player, like a Unilever or a big, let's like, say, a big food company, and it's clear that they have to go or you have to go because you're running it through the transition and also let go of a number of things, but like emerge a new one, but you want to do that without too much crumbling because that would just create chaos. Like, how would you approach that? I normally ask questions, okay, how would you invest a billion dollars? And we've asked that. Um, but in this case, how would you, if you, you manage a large food company, any large food company, 
would you, what would you approach be to, to guide that super tanker through that transition without just saying, okay, let's close the factories and we start, we start new, which, which you just mentioned. Yeah. That's, that's not, that's not the process as well. Like the process involves letting go crumble and rebuild at the same time, which is chaotic and not too much control. Um, but how, how we approach that with institutional players that we thought they would always be there, but of course they might not, or at least not in this shape and form. It's such a good question. And I don't have a perfect answer to it at all. Of course, that would be weird. That would be sort of a, <laughs> that would be a counterpoint I'm to gonna, your I'm whole, for the first half hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, what's coming to me though, is really about how do we embed the deep regenerative principles in the essence of a company or organization, regardless of size and what it looks like. Because I think that is at the, that is essential for a transition to a truly regenerative future. Cause we've used this term regenerative so many times. And what I forgot to say earlier is one of my fears and what's drawing me towards doing these experiences to help people really get it and like see it firsthand is to um, sidestep or like skip over the potential risk of false regeneration <laughs> like you know the the greenwashing of regeneration Regen yeah so so the principles of regeneration which are synonymous with for me and in, in, in my own terms with the original principles which are those that all indigenous peoples around the world have lived by in terms of generosity, reciprocity, gratitude, like affinity for all, for all life. That in some form or another is what underpins all of our ancestors' ways of being. So how do we reclaim those and place them at the core of every organization? Because from there, they won't steer us wrong. And it's very different for me. It's very much in contrast to what I observe from afar in terms of many organizations' motivations for making regenerative, regenerative goals, etc., which is more fear-based. It's very much surface and fear-based. And I don't believe that any organization operating from a place of fear will actually embody what they need to, to be part of a truly regenerative world, a hundred, 200, 500 years from now. And then putting my cynical hat on saying, okay, how, where to start? What's the, I mean, start in nature, but where to, to, if you took control of the culture of, of a large organization might even be like listed on the stock exchange, mm. where would you, where would you begin? I think at the leadership. When Started I think about, yeah, yeah. I mean, the leadership. And their largest shareholders, maybe. Yeah, both. Really understanding the systems mindset. Because that's the thing too, right? It's a movement from the oversimplification, which has existed through most of the last century, which has gotten us progress in some ways, and also short-termism. <laughs> so it's this, it's this whole shift in mindset and ability to deal with complexity, 
which is the direction we need to go and understand your place in your system and your organization's place in the bigger system and see these nested systems. Not everyone in an organization should or needs to think in that way, right? We can't spend all of our time getting people to think in this way. And some people just their brains don't work in that way. And that's completely fine. That's not what they're meant to do. But I think at a leadership level... Some engineers level, will really struggle, yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes you just need to focus on a specific node and area. But I think I'm... I'm yeah, that's what's coming to me at this moment. Because at the end, organizations and companies are organisms and, and they behave or they should behave according to the laws and, and rules of nature. And they might not. In, in the sense of uh, what we've built over the last few hundred years in many, in many places or the last decades in some. Um, but how do we deeply embed regeneration and the principles in, into large organizations, into any size organizations, honestly, is going to be a, an interesting, is an interesting, not going to be, it's an interesting challenge. Um, and what's the role of, of money in that? Well, that's what I wanted. It was coming up for me as a question to you and you mentioned Charles Eisenstein earlier, which I was happy to hear because I'm currently listening on Audible to his sacred economics book. And, and it was making me think because I was just listening to a chapter around like negative and zero, um, basically interest and returns. And I was like, gosh, from all these conversations you've had in your mind at this moment, like what, how does it, how can it actually work? <laughs> how do we actually make it work in this current economic system where we apparently need these returns on investments? Like, how, how does it work? Can it work? <laughs> so how many hours do we have? No, um, I think this space is booked for the next few, but no, I'm, it's, a, it's a very, it's a constant tension we juggle with because there, of course, the, people that say, okay, let's just raise a fund. We, we buy degraded land or we invest in companies. we get our returns that we need for that type of fund and impact and, and like return and risk profile and we'll be fine. And I think it's a strategy that can work for a limited amount of time. And I, I keep coming back to a quote of Mark Lewis that we interviewed of Trailhead Capital that I really pushed on the regeneration piece. Like, can you get VC returns in regeneration? And he said, we're so far below zero or we're so far behind. I, I don't remember the exact quote he mentioned, but he said, for a limited amount of time, I think we can. Like we have 10 years to, to do a lot of things and, and we're losing biodiversity at a rate that's just very scary. Um, it's not a long-term thing, which maybe questions if you should do it or not. Um, but he says, we can raise capital now with a VC type of return, or I'm convinced, he said, and put it to work in companies that, get, um, that go through really interesting growth curves over the next five to eight years, which is what you need in that type of... Uh, of, of fund. And then if the next one will be the same, it's a question. Like it depends. Like let's hope almost let's hope not, because that means we've regenerated so much. But in that regeneration phase, there there is a um a, of course um there's a J curve. Like you go down, but there's also an abundance that emerges if you if you do it well. And, and he argues that that's potential in the regen tech space, like in technology companies that help in this, that have that scalability. If that happens, we'll see. I mean we'll see if that um, plays out. And I think in the land space as well, if you buy really degraded land in the right places and you put all the right practices and you have a good offtake agreement, 
for premium organic soy or something in the US, you can get really interesting returns. And if it's full regeneration, maybe not. I mean, the, the, the land is still hold in, in, in a few funds or in the hands of a few, but it does take out a lot of land from very heavily chemically doused agriculture over the last decades into something that leads to a lot more life, literally. So I think for a short, maybe my answer is for a short term, it's possible. Do we want it is a second one. Like, should we just skip that whole in-between transition phase and say, okay, well, let's not target market-based returns. Let's just go for any returns or even no returns. Like, of course, we, we argue sometimes with uh, zero interest loans or with the gift economy piece, which is fascinating mm-hmm. about Charles Eisenstein. For anybody didn't read, definitely go and read Sacred Economies and um, the new story. I forget the last one. Um, but anyway, the, the, those two books have, have definitely shaped my thinking. So should we just skip that in-between phase and jump straight to quote-unquote perfect, which we don't know how it looks, but uh, <laughs> what, what would that mean? And, and there are some people arguing for that. And say, okay, we need uh, an evergreen fund, like we had Thomas on, on the that that just takes positions in companies and will pro- potentially never sell and gets a return from when the company is very successful, dividend payments or profit share or revenue-based ba- uh, in investments. And the most disruptive companies will choose that because they don't want a VC company that has to exit in seven years. So maybe they even search for each other, which is a very interesting thesis, which we're going to test. We're going to see if that works. Um or just go to a full gift economy um, system as well. But what I think is there's so much money created. It's such a strong tool that's been used mostly by the uh, non-regenerative industry. Like the extractive one is really good at it and rightfully so because they learned how to use it. So do we also, are we, like we have very limited time because we keep losing, (laughs) we keep losing the battle so far. And that doesn't mean we're we're not going to win the war, but like, do we have to build non-perfect systems now that can attract quite a bit of capital to be put to work, to plant the trees, to, to take out a lot of land out of incredible chemical dosing and figure out along the way what then the next phase of the next step in the transition is. And we all agree it's not perfect. I pushed Paul McMahon of SLM on that. Like, you're going to build another 10 plus 2 fund for land regeneration and you know it's not the ideal way. He said, yes, but if I do an evergreen structure, I would raise a lot less which means I have a lot less land. And I know it's not ideal. We want to put it in a reed at some point. We want to have an eternal vehicle that just grows with the asset and slowly we build over time. But I also need to put money to it. Like I, I need to make, I want to make these investments now because the opportunities are there. And if we wait five years, then the trees are planted in five years and not this year. And if we wait and the same, we haven't interviewed uh, her yet, but a friend of the show said, yeah, I can spend two years trying to fundraise uh, an evergreen structure and raise maybe 10 million, or I can do 25 million now and in 10 years, figure out what's the next step of this fund. So it's, I'm starting to lean more towards let's raise as much with the, the, the best current conditions we can do and put it to work because we're losing so much and we're in such dire conditions, but it might be also sort of flight forward and, and not willing to, to go deep enough in the regeneration piece to figure out, okay, what are, um, Regen, and I'm, I'm, I notice I'm on a long rant, but what our regen fund structure or investment structures look like that can raise a lot of capital. But I, for what I keep hearing from the sector, we're not there yet. Like we cannot, we're not, they will be too small to have a, a deep impact now, but maybe in a few years, and maybe if we train enough investors on retreats and, and emergent experiences that they will be open to it. But so far the response has been, 
great, but let's not innovate on too many different things. The topic is already complicated. And so if we do also a structurally complicated thing, yeah, it's just not going to fly and the money will fly somewhere else. And that's, I think the issue as well. Like if we agree of money will be put to work somewhere, like do we maybe in some other tech and maybe some other climate piece, but maybe somewhere else completely, somewhere else completely and doing a lot of harm. So that's the tension we, we juggle with, like how perfect do you want to be and, and how much hectares do you want to touch or impact do you want to touch or how many companies do you want to touch and um, yeah, how much money can you raise with that and, and thus put it to work? Because in this case, it's for many, it's the, the bottleneck, like more investment means faster and less investments means slower, unfortunately. Yes, yes. No, I... I'm with you on that. And I was just seeing in my mind this visual of like a tree <laughs> and this comparison almost of like, do you take the current work within the current system and really seize the opportunities that arise and like the grow edges. new branches? You want to be at the edges. Yeah, start like flowing money, circulating money in a certain direction to have a new shoot. But it's still off of like the main tree versus take the risk of planting a tiny seedling or seed and hoping that it can sprout and suddenly grow faster and faster and faster than the other tree. So I intuitively and, and I think even my own work, you know, I'm stepping back into the system. I'm not sitting in. But you weren't totally sure a year ago or half a yeah. year ago. No. And I could have easily been like, reject it, you know, go go completely the other end of the spectrum. Um, so it's like, how do you find this middle ground and kind of work with both, which is, I think is what we, we need to do. And. But I think just to, yeah. to, to double click on, I mean, I think it's called the, ed, the abundance edge or, or something like that, which comes from John Fullerton and the, what is it? The Capital Institute. Anyway, I'll, I'll put mm -hmm. it below. And it, I saw it in the deck of Planetary, which is uh, the fund Thomas runs on evergreen structures or an evergreen fund focused on, on regeneration in the food system. And, and I had to Google it because it sounded nice, but I didn't really know what it meant. And, but it's that interesting, like you one foot in and one foot in the other space and just at the edge. So you're, what we mentioned before, what's the bridge that we're not too weird But interestingly mm. enough, to to attract enough capital or enough resources, enough talent, enough brain power, because that's what we need, really. I don't think we need the money necessarily. It will follow. But we definitely need more people building um, mm -hmm. with the right intentions and the right structures. But then at the same time, as a podcast, we function mostly, I would say, in the gift economy. Like we don't charge. We mm -hmm. are completely dependent on Um, financial supporters that that keep us going. So if you're one of them, thank you, really, thank you. <laughs> this is this is the extreme luxury of of having of being able to talk to anybody and anybody in this space and having time and not being guided by or uh, the, the, having the guide rails of of large corporates or large large sponsors is a luxury because of our listeners. And we don't have a massive podcast, so we cannot do ads, etc. We won't do ads as well. Uh, we get approached, don't worry, but we always say no. And, but we're completely dependent on financial supporters. And yes, we work sometimes with some foundations and, and some groups that um, would like to support us to do a specific series, like on nutrient density, and we're going to do one on water cycles next year. And, and, but it's always us saying, we want to do this series with these interviews. Um, would you like to support it or not? We don't need to do it. We have enough financial supporters to keep us going. We would love to do it. We would love to make more interviews. We have more stories that we can possibly do With a weekly one, we might go to twice a week next year, and but we're not dependent on a big foundation or a big uh, corporate uh, donor or something that 
um, then is going to check every interview we do. Um, and so it's a, that freedom functions because we opened it up and said, okay, we, we can do this because of all of you. We have a number of companies that we featured that support us, but of course it's not connected to the interviews we did because we don't want to go anywhere near there. And, and so I'm extremely grateful for that and uh, that we are able to function in the gift economy as, as Charles and others have, uh, have pioneered. And, and that gives us a freedom to, to act. And it's very interesting how that connects to farmers as well. We had a deep conversation and that will be on, on the video as well. On, these are power struggles. Like you, we want the ag and food system to be more independent, to be less dependent on, on inputs, but also less dependent on outputs and, and suppliers and offtake agreements that somehow extracted everything from the countryside and everything from the forestry and everything from the oceans. And, and we need that power to come back to the key decision makers of our time, which are land stewards and farmers. Like they decide our future. Like there's no question that we can, we can decide everything we want in these nice concrete boxes, but it's not up to us. So how do we make sure they are empowered, empowered to, to do that? And, and maybe that requires a few resources. So it's, I think, very powerful that as a podcast, we operate in, in the gift economy because that makes us hopefully a more long-term, that's very important, and also independent voice that we can take it wherever our curiosity leads us without um, having to go and do certain interviews or having to put a spotlight on certain things that we just don't think is worth, honestly, your, 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 your time, uh, dear listeners. So it's a, it, but it's a struggle. Yeah. Where do you, we have to keep the lights on as well. We have to run the laptop and the microphone and pay for hosting. Uh, but it's so far has been, has been working very, very well and, and surprisingly well. And I think that gives, even though it can be small little nuggets, like proof of what operating primarily in a gift economy way can look like and how it can start to emerge even in this container of the current model and system. Yeah, we never and, talk about it. We should yeah. maybe, what do you think? We should probably do that more. Like just explaining <laughs> well, how this model works. Is, is how also like through your conversations over all these episodes, has that been part of the conversation? Because I, I, and I'm just curious how you've seen conversation, like the, I'm talking about like the big global conversation shift when it comes to investment and regeneration. Because I think back to when I started working on food and with these companies like five years ago, going into a room and even mentioning the word regenerative agriculture or regeneration, people would often stop and go, what do you mean? And then a couple of years later, much faster than I could have predicted, like the global conversation had, had moved where it didn't, we had a common understanding in general, maybe slightly different, but common understanding of what it meant and we could move the conversation much further. So I'm just curious to hear your observations and, and maybe anything that's related to that gift economy piece. I think on the observation piece, it's going faster than I expected. Definitely. I mean, having conversations with large institutional players or large family offices that, that really control a lot of wealth. Um, and we can have a long argument if that concentration of wealth is, is good or not. Um, but it is as it is at the moment. So let's, let's figure out a way to, to put some of that to work. Um, way earlier than I expected, people get hooked get bitten by the bug. I don't think it can, like, once you see it, you cannot unsee it anymore. Like this, this sector of food and egg needs, uh, a structurally big redesign as you wrote so mm -hmm. nicely. Um, so I think that conversation has shifted dramatically. Like we cannot, if you care about climate, health, 
um, inequality, women's rights, like any of the SDGs, basically, or any of, of anything you want to move, you have to at some point touch soil, food and egg or, or the first meter or two of the oceans that like there's no way to to do this unless you believe in in um, magic wands and and we all grow our food in a factory tomorrow with with solar panels and we'll be fine um i think you'll be uh, yeah let's say you'll be proven wrong very quickly um but so that shift has shifted but then i feel like we're completely at the beginning on on the deeper stuff and what does that mean for economy and i think the economy discussion has been changing like what does economic system we have built means and does and what kind of conditions have we built into that and, and an impact investing I see because I, I do spend quite a bit of time with impact investors in general at, at Tonic I see that conversation of concentration of wealth uncomfortable being uncomfortable with that there's some members of ours that going okay what is enough which is a very interesting thing like um, we of course have first generation wealth which means you sold companies in many cases it sort of happened which is very interesting like nobody Almost nobody started companies and say, okay, I want to, I want to sell and then be financially off. And that's fine. That is, no, they started a company and it happened to turn into something with a lot of luck and hard work into something bigger than they happened to have the amazing word liquidity event. And suddenly they were an investor. And, and so the discussion of enough, it's at the fringes still, it's like at the deep end of the pool where you don't touch the, the bottom, but the discussion is happening and people are giving away a lot and then having the discussion how to do that most effectively or they're investing and giving away all the return and just winding down their wealth basically to a smaller pocket, still a lot of money for most people in anywhere that will be more than enough to live the rest of their lives, but to make sure their children are taken care of, them are taken care of, and that's it. But you must have the burden of 400 million or something that like nobody would ever need or ever spend. Like you can, you can do a calculation if you want to live very, very comfortably, you need a bit and the rest is just extra and, and just creates issues. Um, so people are coming to that realization, but a very, very small group in general, I think, and, and to the power of companies. I think the whole regenerative principles, the ownership structures of companies, like unless we tackle the deep, the deep conditions that are in there, we, we're just not going to get very far. The same with region egg and food, unless we, and I would love to make a series on that. So if anybody has ideas, um, hit me on it, especially on the transition piece, like the ownership of land in food and egg, like private ownership of land. The more people I talk to, the more like, unless we tackle that, everything else sort of feels like, like a small fight in the margins. And, and we're going to change practices, of course, but if it keeps being short-term ownership of land and, and farmers, especially new entry farmers cannot get control. I'm not saying ownership, but control over land long-term, like who would build soil and why? And and, and who is able to pay these massive lease payments and then have a, a long-term agroforestry plan? Good luck. And um, so we, we definitely will will double click more on that. And that elephant in the room is still not discussed a lot, but it starts to, to emerge the same with indigenous knowledge, like acknowledging that all of this region ag um, words we're using has a, have a very, very long history. And we might want to acknowledge that. And uh, we did a very nice interview with Liz Carlisle on that uh, recently, like none of this is new, maybe some of the tech, but let's acknowledge where it comes from and, and, Let's let's say sorry of for basically um, being very very late to the show. Like we're we're not. This is nothing new, and we try to sell books on it and courses and all of it. Um, but this is not something that we discovered twenty years ago or forty, etc. Um, so I, I think there's there's a there's an emergence of the deeper discussion. But on that field, I feel very 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 early. Like it's these kind of discussions we don't have very often. We might have more now. Uh, let me know if you like it. Um, but it's. 
it feels like, okay, we're still really trying to fit that square into a round hole or the other way around. And it's, it's difficult because we're yeah, bound to institutional investor structures or return profiles or, um, well, it's all in our head. Like it's not that, that anybody, that all of those have been shifted over the last decades. And, and now suddenly we need to, to be bound by rules that we, we think have been set in stone 100 years ago, which of course is nonsense. Mm. What do you think could help most to bring this conversation and these these deeper conditions that you're referring to in terms of like land ownership I mean, and structures really more that, that into the forefront? I think the personal experience, like unless people, that's why I always start with the question, why soil from all the other amazing career paths you could have chosen. And, and I'm really, I always double click it. It takes half an hour to get to the, the source. Okay. Why did you go left, right? And not, and, and so I think what you mentioned before, and that's why I'm, I'm so interested to continue that conversation is how do we get, even though it doesn't scale at all, but if I think if you get the crucial catalysts to have, to see what their version of regeneration could be, um, I think it's very, very powerful. So I, I don't think we can get it from an analog screen in a, in a concrete box. I hope you're listening to this on a long walk somewhere uh, in the forest. So you might, uh, we might combine the technology and, and the analog, but unless we go out, unless if, if, I mean, I keep quoting, if we keep meeting on zoom, this is not going to go anywhere. And um, it helps with coordination later. Let's, let's keep it that way. So I really think, I, I think I, and many interviews like go out, visit farms, spend time, listen, listen to the struggles, to the issues, to the opportunities, and you'll be amazed because most of what you thought about food and egg probably isn't true. And, and so start learning with the pioneers as they are learning, because also they don't know and, and spend time with your local indigenous tribes, wherever you like connect to the local wildness, etc. because unless we do that, it just, yeah, we use the same structures to, to figure out a different problem, which is simply impossible. Yeah. It's like in a way, how do we adopt this childlike curiosity and and wonder in a way and move from this hyper knower state? <laughs> and I know that state well, because that's what I'm my default mode. It's like I know this, I know how things work, I know what to do, and actually do what you just said, listen. And I think that was one of the biggest threads through my travels was being completely humble and being like, yes, I've worked in this space for a while. Yes, I've been on some farms in, in Europe, but never in, in these sort of regions. I mean, like, I don't know much. And then watching these indigenous people and the, the expression of their wisdom in, you know, every walk through the forest, knowing what would be poisonous, threatening, know what could heal if you got bitten by a snake, all of these things that... There's no way I could have ever learned that in a classroom or in a conference and just be like, okay, yeah, I need to get off of my own like pedestal <laughs> and, and receive and listen and learn. Yeah. And I think then how do we combine that with the organizational structure or the company structure, which is such a powerful for organism in a way that it brings this impact to the world and brings the scale and, and ships the boxes and, and makes sure the food gets on the table and, and, and replaces some of the other very efficient organisms that are doing that currently mm. or change them. So how do we hold that tension between 
um, running companies shift like selling boxes or selling whatever you're selling and make sure yeah we don't we we hold that complexity and hold the regeneration piece deep inside i think that's the tension how do we because we've learned really well how to build efficient organizations mm -hmm. of massive scale and now probably that scale is an issue but um, we need some scale because there is economies of scale they are there and so how do we how do we build those while keeping the regeneration piece so deep um, within those. And I think it's possible when I mean, we've seen, we're seeing examples now and, and where that are just operating on a different level in terms of culture inside, in terms of outputs, of course, in terms of ownership structures, in terms of happiness of people inside, happiness of customers, clients, uh, employees, suppliers, etc. And so it's definitely possible. I think Frederick Laloux wrote a very nice book on reinventing organizations, um, which is, also operating in the gift economy, you can just buy it or you can pay later what you think it's worth, which has been a huge um, inspiration for our video course, for our podcast, etc. And he showed many organizations that are just really good companies, but they're operating on like a completely different level. If you look at organizational structure, if you look at openness, if you look at power dynamics, if not saying it's any easy, but as an investor or as somebody that has to put money to work, I would also argue you would like to back something that lives the longest because yeah, it, as long as it doesn't die, um, your, your investment is, is doing something. And I think we have to look at structures. We have to look at farms that are meant to survive very, very long because they are creating more value than they extract. And so it would be very stupid to, um, to ignore that, even though it might be uncomfortable and you lose a lot of control and you have to let go of things. It will be a very interesting ride. That's for sure. So I think we're in a, very interesting space. It's a period of great potential evolution. Upgrades. Yeah, I think Charles calls it like something we're out of the adolescent, coming out of the adolescent stage as, mm. and of course he goes way deeper, like way, way deeper um, as humanity. And, and we have to, yeah, we're growing up and it's very painful, which many, I think, recognize as adolescent, as the adolescent stage, but then after it gets calmer and, and uh, we have a much longer view or we should have. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a, a good moment to, to wrap up. We're an hour plus in. We could talk for another four hours, but we'll, we'll keep Definitely. that for another time. Maybe <laughs> episode 300 or 250 or something like that. And uh, I want to thank you so much for, for joining me. Is there any, I want to say parting words with the sound really bad. Like some, something you would like to share before, before we wrap up? Mm, well, first off, thank you for having me and for this conversation um, and the gift of being able to, to have this and share and, and hopefully share with listeners who learn something. And yeah, I think it's just an invitation for everyone listening to really explore this intersection between the inner and outer world and what is that inflection point and how do we take care of ourselves and regenerate ourselves knowing that it is an indirect pathway to regeneration of the outer world and I'm encouraged by things like the inner development goals which you may have heard of and they just had their first big symposium or conference last week that acknowledge and are naming and scientists around the world coming together to say we won't reach the SDGs unless we work 
on inner inner work. So it's the invisible part and it's all about the mindset and returning to our core values and our true nature as human beings, um, which is why I believe that while things may not look so great on the surface today, I still carry a great deal of hope and belief that things can shift more quickly than perhaps we even expect um, because of our ability to evolve as humans. Yeah, I think it's a very good end note of this is a marathon. If we literally burn ourselves out or figuratively, then we're not going to get anywhere. And it's it's interesting this year has been extremely busy on the personal side for us, all, all good things, uh, but also meant that I let go of control of my email and probably have been not answering some people as I have should, but still releasing an episode a week. And, and probably wanting to do more. So it's that constant tension of sector growing or like the amount of interesting stories we could tell is, is almost endless, potentially endless. And not being able to do that or choosing not to do that because of personal stuff is, is very, very tricky. And at the same time, seeing the interest in things and the inbound and the potential brainstorms and come to this conference and do this and do that, like explode this year, like beyond I've ever seen before. And this is 13 years I'm following this space. So having to slow down or wanting to slow down and speed up at the same time has been a very interesting juggling act. And, um, but I think we were okay. If I missed any emails, long-term ones, send me them again, please. If you're listening, because uh, it's not, um, they just disappear at some point because it's just not, not able to, to answer everything, not able to participate in all amazing conferences and brainstorms. I would love to, but just can't because we have a, um, a responsibility to the audience as well and have to, like, I have to prioritize the interviews and the journey because we're taking two and a half, 3000 people on a journey every time. And, and that's, uh, I feel that as a, as a responsibility and an enormous gift to not saying leading the way, because that's definitely not what we do. Um, but trying to put spotlight on, on interesting places and people and, and then go and explore by yourself, um, take off your headphones or close your laptop. If you're listening to this on a laptop, and go out, uh, take off your shoes, feel it, and feel the soil and, and sense where you're at. Um, and then come back and listen to another episode maybe at some point. So thank you so much, everybody listening. Thank you so much, Emma, for joining us in this 200th and uh, up to the, the next, however many we might end up making. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash posts. If you like this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.